Hey, hey, welcome to episode 40 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. I'm your host, the producer. Well, this is our ride report for Sunday, Monday, August 21st and 22nd, 2016, if you're listening in the future. All right, I hope we got some really good stories coming up for you today and this week. Uh, With this new format, I don't exactly know what's going to be coming up for the week. That's what's exciting for me, and as well, I hope it's going to be exciting for you. All I know is that we're going to have a ride report. We're going to have a little bit of news. I'm going to have a DIY tip for you later at the end of the week. And you're probably saying, well, hey, what about uh, Friday and Saturday, man? Like, these shows come out Friday, so you don't tell us what's happening Friday. Um, What's going on with that? So, well, why don't we jump back to last Friday, I guess, Friday and Saturday. Well, we had a race at the Grove with our WIR Top 10 folks, and that seemed like it all turned out well. If you follow them on the Facebooks, I implore you to do so. WIR's Top 10 Bikes on Facebook. I can leave a note in the show notes, leave a link in the show notes, rather. And um, I don't, I'm not 100% sure how they fared. Um, I wasn't there, and, you know, they're not streaming or anything, but... Uh, I think I can probably wrangle up some information. Why don't we go to somebody who was there to tell us exactly how it went? Let's talk a little bit. You guys were just at the Grove this last weekend. Yep. Let's that was, talk, that let's talk big... about what happened. Yeah. Well. Now, this is Steve Goldfinger, the field producer for the WIR Top 10's bike list. Let's hear what he says about their trip to the Grove. We had it set up where there was five of us from our list against five of their guys down there. And we tried to match it up where the bikes were comparable, you know, ran close to the same times. So they would be good races. Well, I made my second time pass. Well, let me back up. All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like the back end of the bike will hop real bad and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. Well, during my second time pass or practice pass, I, I decided, well, I wonder what would happen if I just stay in it and try to drive through the hop. So I did that, and the bike spit the chain off. So I had to coast, coast to the end of the track, and luckily Michelle was down there because she helped me push it to the return road. And uh, I get back to the pits, and I'm looking at it, and we're trying to figure out why the chain fell off. Well, the rear sprocket was in line with the frame rail on the frame, so it actually twisted the whole swing arm over. Jeez. If you want to see a picture of this too, by the way, go to their page, the WIR Top 10 Bikes. And I think, Jason, you have posted a picture up there, correct? Earlier when I said his name was Steve, I may have been fibbing just a bit. Yep, yep. Picture yeah, <laughs> And at first I didn't know what was happening because, you know, sometimes you'll see a picture of a bike and it's not like perfectly square. And so you you can't tell. But then when I realized that your photo was dead on, and here the tire is over to the left, like uh, like an inch or two, right? It was like pretty pretty good twist on that thing. Yeah, probably a half inch to an inch. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It looked it looked exaggerated in the picture, and I'm going, "What's up? What? What? Oh my god! Now I see it, and it's like, whoa, mind blowing." So your bike only makes about 16 horsepower. How did you do that? Just a really crappy swing arm, I guess. Uh, in all honesty, I I don't know if you're comfortable giving out numbers, but how much horsepower do you think you're putting out? And are you running nitrous like everybody else? 
Um, just on motor, my bike, my bike makes 210 horsepower. And then I spray another 75 horsepower on top of that. So as much as two 1989 uh, Ford Mustangs, like the, the B6s, <laughs> <laughs> coming out of your 1.3 liter bike. What were the final results? Like, what did you guys take away from that experience? Well, my, my bike ended up bending the swing arm, so I couldn't race. And then Jake Roberts, his clutch broke, so he was unable to race. So then we had three, only three races out of the five that we could actually run. And the first race was Guy Bellinger against Anthony Dugo. And Anthony Dugo's got a Hayabusa at Nitrous, and Guy's is turbo. And uh, it, it was a close race. I thought Guy had him. And I guess guy lost by maybe a bike length, half a bike length. And then now on the RSD stuff, you guys do, I mean, you guys do keep like the, the ETs and like the speeds and all that stuff, right? Or you just, is it visual? Yeah, there's, there's speeds in ETs, but nobody else can see them. Oh, okay. You your, okay. You get your time slip and nobody else knows what you're in, but okay. there's st you still get the wind light if you win or lose. Okay, so so you still know, but it's uh, kind of unofficial. Okay. So Guy lost his race, and then Chris, Chris's race was against the guy that won Kings of the Street in June. No way. So we're, we're talking like regional, not champ, but I mean, I guess, you know, regional champ. Yep. And Chris beat him. Chris smoked him off the line. We were all jumping around, acting all crazy like Missy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and if missy was there she would have just like tore a hole in the ground i'm guessing yep and then oh, uh man. michelle ended up racing her race and it was against the guy that who beat the guy and michelle raced a few years ago and the guy beat her and the thing you do is when you smoke somebody is to turn your hazard lights on when you're ahead of them and the guy did that to her and it pissed her off so they ended up racing Friday night and she just hammered them off the line and stayed ahead of them the whole time. And then she got to about three quarter track and we could see a flashing on the back of her bike. We're like, what the hell is that? And they were like, Oh snap. Those are the fucking hazards. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my God. Rematch bitch. Yep. So we, we ended up walking out of there two races to one. So team WIR was victorious. And did they have, how many of you guys went down there? Was it all, was it at least 10? Um, uh, between five and 10, I think like seven, I think of us went down. And how many, how many did, did they have there? Oh, hundreds, <laughs> 15, 20. Wow. So, I mean, so you guys were not at a lack of, or, uh, you know, at a loss for components or, uh, competition. <laughs> competition components yeah. or components yeah competitors yeah but the, the races that we had set up before we went down you know we tried to do it so bikes that were pretty close to each other ran each other so the races would be you know nice and close and you know it was a coin flip to who won you know Man, we didn't want like... we we didn't want to have a be where a guy with a crazy fast bike was going up against a 12 second bike you know right i mean yeah, 12 seconds. My grandma's Toyota Corolla could do that, you know. <laughs>
not really, but I get what you're saying. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And then, so did you guys only run those three races then? No. Like heads up or whatever? No, well, rest of, the rest of the night was test and tune and just right. fun races. Okay. Like, okay. Like Michelle and Dustin, they raced for a bag of Doritos. So now I think the whole bag of Doritos bet's going to be starting at Great Lakes Dragway. Right. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a great bet because it's so symbolic. And then to just eat them real slowly in front of, you know, whoever, whoever lost them. It's like a big fuck you, right? Oh, Michelle is the devil when it comes to that. She sits there and hugs them like a baby and she sits there and eats them in front of you. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> So there you have it. A little recap of the action at the Grove. That was the WIR Top 10 Bikes field trip to the Grove, Great Lakes, Dragaway. All right, so the rest of the weekend, what happened? Well, Daddy did a little bit of riding. I may have told you on the last episode that I ripped my glove, and boy, I was not happy about that. Uh, the only other pair of gloves I have is cold weather gloves. Am I ill-prepared? Should you always have, like, double, uh, duplicate and triplicate on hand? Tell me. Because, you know, for a guy that's at GAT, I, I sure as hell don't have a bunch of the of the GAT. <laughs> so, at any rate, what did I do? Because I don't like riding around. I feel naked if I don't have, you know, gloves on and, and all the other stuff. You can look at your grandpa's list of stuff that he probably wears, and that's probably what I have on. So, anyway, I what did I do? Well, you know... Duct tape can fix almost anything. I didn't have any duct tape. Lesson number two. either If you're not going to carry duplicate or triplicate of gear, carry duct tape. I've failed on both instances. So what's the next best thing that I could, that I could do is I have some cloth tape and a medical kit. I have plenty of this stuff on hand from buddy tape and fingers and toes. You know, I get into all sorts of mayhem that I don't even want to describe to you. But at any rate, this stuff is strong, and it's durable, and it's flexible. So I took it, and I lined the inside of my glove where the tear was. This tear happened on the seam, and it also ripped through, like, the Velcro patch where it fastens. It's kind of weird that that is their leather, and the leather would just tear like that, and so would the Velcro. It's almost like they were dry and crusty. They are five years old. Um, so I guess it's time after sweat and sunlight and all that stuff to get a new pair. So I'm going to go do that. But in the meantime, little life hack, carry around some cloth tape because that stuff is strong. It's not like your regular, uh, paper tape. You know what I mean? So, uh, that was handy. Where did I ride? Well, I headed out East a little bit, you know, on the last episode I talked about how devastating a fire can be uh, to a riding community and an area and not just from the perspective of damaged personal property or lost to personal property and god forbid you get stuck in that fire and or you live up in that area and all your bikes get burned up or your house and all that great stuff but also from damage to the environment and riding roads and things like that so i headed i headed east to where the fish fire happened a few weeks ago took some pics and it actually still i mean it's fresh you know what i mean so the the pictures still look fresh even though it's it's gosh i think about four weeks ago that it happened no maybe about eight weeks ago now and and you can't tell i mean it's just as dry and dusty as it was uh the day that it happened so i took some pictures of that 
And it also happens to be in the neighborhood of CSC Motorcycles and Chabot Engineering. So I took a little field trip down there too. Let's go back a couple years to CSC Motorcycles when everybody was talking about adventure touring bikes. What would be the cheapest adventure touring bike? What would be the best adventure touring bike? BMWs were still cranking out the R1200s by the bajillions. So they were already still on top of the market. But CSC made a big, um, I don't want to say a dent. They made a big showing in the industry when a lot of people started looking at their bikes thinking, hey, this may be a cheap, viable alternative to a BMW R1200 GS, and it actually kind of looks like it too, or like a little KLR sort of thing, you know, any sort of like dual sport adventure traveler. Now the bike that I'm referring to is the CSC RX3 Adventure. Let me give you a little background on this in case you haven't been around for the past couple years, because when adventure bikes were starting to heat up and everyone was talking about should I get a KLR? Should I get a F650 GS, a G, you know, 650 GS, a F800, or splurge for the R1200? And people really weren't talking about the Triumphs. Africa Twin hadn't come out yet. So, and some for some reason, the Super Tenere always gets overlooked, right? So all these other things were out there, and people were saying, hey, what about this 3000 or, you know, it's just under 4000 bucks. What about this $4,000 little 250 yeah, it's a 250. Let me go to their website and give you a little bit of blurb about, you know, their pitch about uh, the, the things that this bike comes with and the features. So, quote, this is from their site. The CSC RX3 Adventure is the perfect motorcycle for real-world adventure touring, off-road excursions, rides around town, or simply commuting to work. It's equipped with solid and smooth four-valve overhead cam, counterbalanced, electric start, water-cooled 250cc engine. It's got Delphi fuel injection and electronics, a six-speed transmission, and standard equipment package that includes a tall windscreen, adjustable suspension, panniers, and a top case, dual-sport tires, engine guards, a skid plate, and much more. With an 84-mile-per-hour top speed, the spike will get you there and back. Whether your trip is around the block or around the world, this is the perfect bike. It's a true adventure touring motorcycle that's proven itself. And then they go on to tell where it's been proven. And that was a direct quote from their website. Now, apparently they took this thing through a rally in across the, the western part of Europe, of Europe, what we would call Asia, uh, Belarus, Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. And also, they took it down to Baja and a 5,000-mile tour of the West, apparently, maybe north to south. I'm not 100% sure, but they implore you to check out their blog and find out the details. So what I'm thinking is, man, this thing really was... A lot of people were talking about this before the Ducati Scrambler came out, before this whole Scrambler craze went crazy, and now that everybody... Can a craze go crazy? Isn't that why they call it a craze? So at any rate, yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, these guys are right out you know, 20 minutes east of me. And uh, I'm going to go over there and check it out. So I did. And unless you want to hear me knocking on the door of a closed store, I won't bore you with the audio from that. But I'll check back within, uh, you know, a couple weeks and see if they're available to talk about this bike and see how, you know, sales are going and if a lot of these things have actually sold. Because I remember people losing their minds over this. And the thing is, is that CSC, you know, it's it's basically, I'm guessing it's a, it's a bike made of Chinesium or unobtainium, and you always got to worry about parts and 
breakage and everything. It says it comes with two-year parts and a one-year labor warranty, but um, I'm not 100% sure besides CSC Motorcycles who services this thing. So that might be something you need to know before you pull the trigger on this thing. But for under 4000 bucks to really get something that sounds as quality as they say this thing is, and for a 250 to have all that crap water-cooled, you know, the panniers, the boxes, all that stuff. I'm sure that the weight rating is not really great for this. You can't load it down like you can uh, 1,200 because basically as the gross vehicle weight goes up, you know, the load rating usually goes up and the components can handle a lot more weight. So I'm not 100% sure, you know, if a big old giant guy would be able to do 84 miles an hour loaded down on this thing. But at any rate, hey, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're not that guy. So this this is a bike that caters to somebody, and I want to find out who that is. So that was my ride. I was really excited to go over there and, you know, check it out. Also, on my way back and over in that same neighborhood is Chabot Engineering. If you're not familiar with Chabot Engineering, uh, you may be more familiar with the owner of the shop. His name is Shinya Kimura. And Shinya is like a famous bike builder. He's... I have had him in my sphere ever since I really started discovering motorcycles and custom building and all that stuff. So he's been around forever. Um, I checked out his stuff a long time ago. It was art stuff though. It wasn't bikes. I mean, he's, he's basically, I would call him a metal sculptor. Sometimes his sculptures go on two wheels and sometimes they go on a wall or a desk. So he's just an artist and he's a visionary And he works out of this tiny little shop over there that used to be, I believe it used to be an engineering shop. And when he, when he bought it, he just left the name, uh, Chabot Engineering. So I cruised over there and what do you know, the garage was open, a few bikes outside. I was tempted to walk up, but I've checked out his site before and it said, please make an appointment. And I, I wanted to respect that because if it's one thing if you're hanging out with your bros and your buddies and maybe even you're building something and some D-bag just comes walking up. You know, I didn't have my recording stuff with me anyway, so, you know, it would have been useless. But, um, you know, it's one thing to get interrupted when you're actually trying to do something productive or hang out with friends and all of a sudden you got some stranger. That's not the first impression I wanted to make. So, at any rate, although it would have been kind of exciting and invigorating... I still took a few pics of the shop and, uh, you know, did that creepy stalker slow ride through the parking lot, just staring <laughs> mad dog and, and then uh, was on my way. And I'll, I'll make my way back over there, too. But that was a fun ride. It was great just to get out. It's been really warm here, but it wasn't too hot. You know what I mean? It was it felt good. I'm guessing it was like around high 80s, maybe even 90 and just the warm, fresh air going over my body as I was cruising around with my taped-up glove just felt just right. So that was a fun ride, and I got to get out and, you know, just get some wind in my face, which I really needed. Sometimes you don't get enough of that, and just a little bit of time on the road is road therapy. This is what it, all it takes to put you in a positive state of mind. So that was really nice, and that is my ride report for uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, and welcome. So this is going to be the ride report, ladies and gentlemen, for Monday and Tuesday, August 22nd and 23rd, 2016. If you're listening in the future, 
and you did not listen to the first part of this recording. My apologies right now if you can hear the air conditioner in the background. It's like a bajillion degrees here today, and I'm not going to work in a very hot environment, you know what I'm saying? So that is what you get, and I'm sorry if it bugs. Um, could do the noise gate, but it will cut out as soon as I quit talking anyway, so while I'm blabbing, you'll be able to hear it. And so what do we have lined up for this Monday and Tuesday? Well, <laughs> well, I was listening to Asphalt and Rubber a couple days ago, and basically they said something very interesting about Scully. Again, still making all the rounds in the newses and the podcasts, and I'm guessing not the news so much because I've come to realize that in the motorcycling world, unless you're reading a print subscription that's um, you know, daily updated or weekly updated that you're listening to a podcast to get your news. There's not very many motorcycle shows out there that cover specifically motorcycles and specifically news. So uh, I could see why it would take a little bit while and while the vestiges of the Scully case is coming out still. And uh, an interesting perspective. Every single perspective I've heard so far on Scully has been to vilify Scully to talk about how they got strippers and Dodge Vipers and all these crazy trips and this and that. And I have to say that Jensen Beeler being a lawyer, he's he's the guru behind Asphalt and Rubber and the two enthusiast podcasts as well as the 18 other ones that he's on. He has a very unique perspective on things. Now, he's a moto journalist, but he, like I said, he's also a lawyer. He's a really smart guy. So he kind of can play devil's advocate or flip the coin and look at the backside of the rock, whatever analogy you want to make here. And I think that what he said about Scully really flipped me on my lid was because he said that Scully, in fact, may not be wrong. And if we think about it in these terms, that Scully, you know, they had to keep up an appearance. They had they they were a silicon they are a silicon or were a Silicon Valley company. I haven't seen their website go down. I haven't checked it this week, but to say the least, um, they're technically still around, I guess. They still have an online presence, and who knows what they're doing with their assets and getting liquidated and all that great stuff. So as far as I know, they are still around. They are a Silicon Valley company, like I just said five seconds ago. I, I hate to repeat myself myself, but I do it all the time. So tangent. Anyway, you know, when you're a company that tries to innovate do technology, do you want this, you know, 17-year-old kid that created an app for a phone right out of college, I mean, right out of high school, or do you want a programmer that's gone to school or at least has gone through the school of Harvard Knox and programming, has got something to show in their portfolio, maybe poach them from another company, you know, is that the sort of talent that you're looking for, or are you just looking for run-of-the-mill crap, especially when you're trying to do something as revolutionary as design the next-gen AR helmet, you know, alternative reality helmet or whatever, or virtual reality helmet. So when you're trying to do something huge like that, make the biggest leap in the industry that's been made in a while, you, what you want to do, you don't want to have the shoestring budget of, you know, Sam's Juice Company that barely can afford to run in a strip mall. You, you do need to take people to lunches. You do need uh, company transportation, and let's face it, I mean, the CEO of my company has had Maseratis forever, recently got into the Tesla game. I mean, not like they need that to drive to work, and they're not driving clients around. Like, you know, when you're a tech company, though, or any sort of company that's working on the edge like Scully was, or like any, you know, major tech company nowadays, you probably don't want to be seen cruising around in the Toyota Corolla, okay? 
So what they said, or what Jensen specifically said, was that, you know what, like, Scully may have used that money in a way that they deemed necessary for their operations to, um, you know, portray the type of company that they were, portray what they thought their returns on investment was. I mean, that's not his his words per se. That's my paraphrasing of what he said. But it all kind of made sense. And you are in the Silicon Valley. You probably are going to drive Dodge Vipers. It's not like you each person in the company had one. They got one. They crashed one. They didn't get hookers. They got strippers. I mean, that wasn't like a bajillion dollars. And these vacations to Hawaii and the Caribbean or whatever, sounds like they were you know, first class flights, business meeting flights. I'm not 100%. I'm not defending them, but I'm just saying it was an interesting perspective to hear uh, Jensen's side of the story on that one and to hear them talk about it a little bit. And I thought, hmm, you know what? I mean, they're right. And to be honest, Scully didn't have like $30 million. I mean, they had somewhere between two and 15, right? I'm unsure of the, the final numbers of what they actually got. But all I know is that, you know, that probably went pretty fast. I mean, that's like probably a year's rent up in that part of California. So it's very expensive to live up there. So yeah, before you, uh, we before we hang them over a fire and burn them at the stake, and hell, I don't even know what happened to them. They're probably, if they're Donald Trumpian, he's gone out of business how many times? Or gone bankrupt and had to forfeit properties how many times? And now he's running for fucking president. So I mean, you know, like, go for what that's worth, maybe they'll come back, rise from the ashes and do do something crazy but something else that uh, rolled across my desk and i've been waiting so long to talk about this this is okay this is still monday so i won't talk about tuesday yet but um harley davidson has been in trouble all right okay when i first started working in the motorcycle industry well i'm not in the motorcycle industry when i first started working in like the vehicle industry it was 2006 and i believe it was in 2007 when Dar- Harley Darley Davidson had Harley had a strike, I think, in two thousand seven, and then we all know what happened at the end of two thousand seven and two thousand eight. You know, shit just has been tumbling downhill for them. There was already the reputation from the eighties of being like a crap company and rebranding a bunch of Air Mockies and shit like that. So, you know, every and, and and honestly, I'd like to talk about that in a second. But anyways, Harley has been not. I don't know. They 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 sell. I mean, compared to Honda, this is a drop in the bucket. But compared to everyone else, it's a huge, huge deal. And they've actually uh, said that their sales had increased. I think for third quarter, something like that, or for the first quarter of 2016, some some shit like that. I, I forget. But so the thing I'm getting at, it has nothing to do with their sales or anything like that. It's what it's just that I don't feel like they've ever been on steady ground you know, as they portray. And of course they had a shutter Buell in 2010 and every single crazy bike that they've had has had to go away. They can't afford to keep them around. I just read on V ride TV today. Today is, um, well, today's Wednesday. I'm doing the, the ride report after other, I can't do it in the future. Right. So I just read on V ride TV today that they might not be bringing back the V rod for 2018. So anyway, they've already suffered a, brake recall for their their uh, hydraulic units on the ABS bikes, you know, the seals leaking and not creating enough seal to push out the fluid and, and the brakes don't deploy, right? Then they had their whole um, clutch thing. You know, the clutch doesn't have built up sufficient pressure to release the clutch or whatever. Then 
their slumping sales that I reported back in December when Polaris had to lay off 10 people, hardly laid off 250, some of those salaried positions. They've also been in the news recently for shifting models. Well, kind of skiffling the numbers. They're kind of pulling a scully on us, aren't they, in a way? Because uh, listening to an interesting radio show uh, over the weekend, they were talking about how Harley-Davidson has... Uh, once the models leave the factory, they're considered sold, not when they leave the dealerships, because each each dealership is independent of the company. You know what I mean? The actual Harley-Davidson, the Motor Co., as they call themselves, or the company. So they don't consider their units sold when there's actually cash paid for them, because the dealers pay cash for them and then sell them to you at a slight markup, and that's how they make their money, right? So Harley-Davidson's been fudging the numbers by telling the dealers they have to take these bikes. And they've been, you know, shuffling these bikes out to dealerships left and right. Dealers are overstocked. Dealers can't even get rid of the fucking 2015 shit. But Harley-Davidson has shown growth and growth and growth and growth. And now it's catching up to them. And not only that, on top of that, last week... I read a couple news articles that came out on like five different news sources that Harley has been slapped with some fines, 12 million to be exact. Uh, I read this, I read their press release on Cycle News, but I also read something on uh, morebikes.uk and Asphalt and Rubber. Everybody having a little bit different input and a little bit uh, different uh, uh, numbers. Actually, now uh, Asphalt and Rubber had some really good numbers as far as vehicles sold and stuff based on the EPA uh, certifications and all that stuff. But what I read on Cycle News was basically Harley got slapped with a fine. No, well, they got, they got, you know, had the DOJ come down on them too. And the EPA saying that they're selling their super sport tuners or their pro sport tuners. And basically those things are off-road use only. You know, those things are for the racetrack and nothing more, but they're selling them through the P&A catalog or through dealerships. And basically, you're not supposed to, if it's for race, you know, race application, I mean, that's one thing. And Harley said that they have educated the, uh, you know, educated the dealers and educated people on the fact that this has to be race only, off-road use, and the fact that this, um, you know, the packaging, you know, states that too. They're trying to say that, you know what, like we made it perfectly clear how you're supposed to use these. It's just that, uh, and and this is a quote from one of their press releases, for more, quote, for more than two decades we've sold this product under an an accepted regulatory approach that permitted the sale of competition-only parts in our view and it was legal to use in race conditions in the U.S. And uh, that was their governmental affairs director uh, quote there. And so basically, the EPA's response was, well, now we're telling you that even if vehicle if vehicles are certified to be on the street, even if you're going to use them for competition only, uh, you can't have all this aftermarket shit. You can't, like adjust any of the aftermarket shit they call they're calling them cheater devices or defeat defeat devices because they're defeating uh they're they're basically a tuner to help your motor make the most power by defeating all the um you know the redundant sort of things that cut power or like you know make it emissions friendly this is like 
shutting all those off so you can haul ass down the track, right? Unrestricted. And they're saying, well, this is a cheater device. This is the defeat device. This is, your bike is certified to be, you know, on the road. I'm guessing they're going by VIN numbers or something like that, which takes me back a few episodes ago. And when I said that I was worried about our friends in Kakana, um, you know, drag racing and all that stuff in the RSD, the real street drags, right in their street bikes to the track. Does this mean that you're only going to be able to use street motors on the track and no, after, you know, anything that, that, uh, bucks emissions, you know, they said we're not coming after race cars and all this stuff, but they didn't. My question was, what about street cars that get regular track use and still are daily drivers or autocross use and stuff like that? That's where I'm saying the EPA is drawing a line. And right here, they've pretty much said it themselves. Here's another quote from Ed Moreland, the uh, Harley Davidson government affairs director. It says, quote, the settlement is not an admission of liability, but instead represents a good faith compromise with the EPA on areas of law where we interpret differently, particularly the EPA's assertion that it is illegal for anyone to modify a certified vehicle, even if it will be used solely for off-road slash closed course competition. Now, see, that was where my big thing was a couple months ago when this whole thing was going down and everyone said it's never going to pass because of, you know, NACE or SEMA. Uh, yeah, it was SEMA, not NACE. Um, SEMA and all of the aftermarket companies that have a dog in this fight, you know, basically what's the biggest seller? Probably intakes and exhaust, you know what I mean? And, and wheels. I'm, I'm guessing those are like the three biggest first upgrades that people do to their cars. So... You know, the thing is, is that sure, they made that ruling. I forget what the hell it was called, like race or whatever the fuck, rev. I, I don't know. The recognition of uh, competition vehicles. Probably It was probably race. And then, so basically they say, yeah, we're going to recognize competition vehicles and they'll be legal. However, those are competition ve- vehicles. Those are, I don't know how they're getting around the certified for the street thing. If they're, you know, if you're going to say that this car is not registered or this is a tube frame car, I can see that because there's no VIN on it, but I don't know how they're going to get around shit that's uh, also registered with the DMV or registered for the street because that obviously means that you are going to, you know, be driving it on the street if you got it registered. And especially if you like to drive down to the drag strip or if you're in a car, go down to the autocross or the track day, you know, drive there, race, go home. And so it's an interesting quandary. Now, Asphalt and Rubber was reporting that, you know, Harley Davidson has this, this is a, on top of all this other shit, on top of the clutch thing and the brake thing, the firings, you know, the 250 layoffs, uh, on top of the, uh, you know, fudged numbers, you know, and all this stuff. This is a $12 million fine. And so basically, and they just are indeed a whole bunch of money to get this Milwaukee 8 motor out. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. So basically, uh, Harley Davidson is going to spend another $3 million to mitigate air pollution through a, a project that I believe it's in surrounding communities where they're going to take... Um, conventional wood stoves with cleaner burning stoves in the local communities. So it's kind of like they're going to, they're going to pay $3 million to go around and make that area of, you know, around their town cleaner, kind of like having to sit out there with the 
sandwich sign saying I was a bad boy or like pick up trash on the side of the road. This is their version of doing that. They're going to have to do some more EPA stuff to make the air even cleaner. And not only that, they're going to have to sp- they, this is a $12 million fine for violating EPA, EPA rules. And on top of that, I read on the asphalt and rubber article that they're going to have to buy all of these uh, pro super tuners back and destroy them. And I know what's going to happen. The guy, the owner of Glendale Harley Davidson is going to buy all these back and hide them in his little garage until like 40 years from now when it's, uh, you know, his grandson, he passes away, his grandson gets it. And, uh, there's just all this crazy stuff. This, that guy up here, I don't, I personally know him, but I, you know, I, I know some people at the dealership and, uh, he has one of everything. He's got like a Harley jet ski or I'm sorry, snowmobile. He's got, he owns, I think one of the Harley motorhomes. Um, and all this is hearsay. I don't know if he really owns all this stuff. I've heard he's got his own private little collection of Harley stuff, like the Aramaki Harleys. Anything that Harley made, I guess this guy snapped one up. I mean, they were licensing their name like crazy back in the 80s, which is why I think they had such a bad rep for reliability. And, you know, I think Lee Iacocca was running the company back then. I don't know. I You know, not old enough to remember all that stuff. But anyway, that's what's going to happen is the guy in Glendale, um, you know, this is me total shit talking and uh, making up stories right now. He's going to buy all these and hang on them for 40 years and then sell them at like $34 billion, uh in future money. That'll be about $17. But anyway, also the Asphalt and Rubber article said that there's been about 340,000 of these devices, according to the EPA, sold. So now you know what your receipt, all those crazy numbers on your receipt. It's people tracking you. It's the government saying, hey, you're selling this shit that you're not supposed to sell. And here's the, you know, every single one they sold, they probably had to mark off and all this great shit. And uh, so now they got to buy them back and destroy them. They got to pay, it says an extra $3 million to do those mitigation programs with the wood stoves. And they're going to have to, I think I read somewhere, I I'm thinking it was asphalt and rubber as well that they sold an additional 12,000 bikes that weren't certified by the EPA, which I don't know what that means. I don't think there's 12,000 destroyers out there. Uh, I'm guessing that they had a bike that was, I, I'm trying to think of what they might've had that wasn't EPA certified. Maybe some of the XRs that went racing, or maybe that's what it is. Like a bunch of race bikes that people bought. I have, I have zero fucking clue, but I just read that there's like a whole bunch of shit. Now Harley Davidson is going to trip hard and they'll be lucky if they don't fall. I'm, I'm guessing that they're lucky that they're releasing their new engines this year and that Indian is stepping up into flat track and giving Harley or, or discovery channel a reason to, make Harley and the Davidsons. I don't know. I just think that we're going to see Harley. They're going to have to make some choices and they're going to have to probably step down from the number one cruiser motorcycle in the world. Now, having said all that, I've been sitting on something which is really has been really hard because I've been kind of excited about it, and that's the Milwaukee 8s. So today's Wednesday. Yesterday, the Milwaukee 8s dropped, 
and uh, I was really excited to talk to some people about him, but obviously I couldn't for contractual reasons, um, keep my big mouth shut as I am obligated to do, but I was looking at these new motors and I thought how phenomenal for Harley. They're going back from a twin cam to a single cam, so not great for racing, but then again, how many Harleys do you really see racing that aren't like purpose built or running SNS motors and shit like that, right? So at any rate, they're going back to a single cam. Here's the thing, and here's some things I didn't know immediately looking at the data I was presented. Um, I just read in Cycle World, Don Kinney, who obviously is a very fast rider, having piloted uh, the Victory 156 and um, the Victory Impulse, you know, at Pikes Peak, and he's an excellent road editor and tester and all this stuff. He's like the man, in my opinion, when you're when you need a uh, a good objective and I guess subjective view of a bike, review of a bike. So he said that these new motors are pretty bitching. He was running around, he got to drive, uh, ride an old 110B twin cam, and then they went over and spent a little bit of time on these test um, vehicles that they had set up at the raceway there near Milwaukee. And basically he said that they were pretty impressive, got a lot of grunt, you know, Harley's do. Harley's top out pretty much... I mean, six grand, I think if you go over that, you'll probably blow them. And so basically, these things were notorious for heat problems. And that's why this whole, in 2014, the Project Rushmore happened. And actually, I think in, 29, or in 2009, there was a frame change. They, you know, redid the mounts on them to make them better. And uh, after that, they did, um, I don't know, they've been making little changes here and there. Obviously, up in the up in the cc's or the cubic inches every few years and so now they've gone up they can't be outdone by indian and indians come on strong this year indian you know really punching them in the face this year uh coming out with that 106 motor and harley can't be outdone so they're going to the 107 cubic inch now right now this is only going to be for the baggers and the cvo's um but they got a 107 cubic inch single cam milwaukee 8 and uh, even though I wasn't allowed to talk about the data that, uh, you know, came out, if you went over to motorcycle.com, they basically had the name of the motor. They had all the displacements. The only thing I can see they got wrong was they thought it was going to be the eighth motor in a series. But if you watched Harley's uh, live on Facebook, uh, you'll know it was the ninth motor. The Milwaukee 8 did stand for eight valves per cylinder, but they they said the EPA uh, filings trash that theory but um that's wrong they are now four valves per cylinder they're twin spark so they have two spark plugs per cylinder they got a whole new cooling system and part of the what i said earlier about part of the heat thing was back in 2011 they have this thing called items e-i-t-m-s which is the engine idle temperature management system and you could like enable that thing by rolling the throttle forward and you know turn it you could turn it on or off but what it does is it cuts spark to the rear cylinder during certain conditions some of those conditions were like engine temperature if it reached a certain temperature and you're at idle and you have your hand off the gas it would kick in and that's cuz the back cylinder right where your butt and your crotch is whether you're a guy or a girl you're getting your thighs burnt and your chaps wouldn't even protect your ass anymore it was just like super terrible right you're just you're on fire there and for a lot of places that you can't split lanes in the summertime that's a huge problem and even if you can split lanes out here in california it's very warm during the summertime sitting at stoplights or parades anything where you're traveling slow 
you know, that you're asking for a burn-in. So what they did is they, you know, introduced items in 2011, but now on the new bikes, they have reduced down the, the, the rear cylinder has the um, exhaust pipe is in a different place. So if you look at it, you can still see the heat shields are there to shield the heat from coming up and to actually guide it down toward the back of the hill, cylinder. So it provides rider protection and engine cooling when you're moving. Those are still there, but they, there is a noticeable difference in where the exhaust uh, crosses over and comes down and comes out. It, it's totally tucked in and down so that it's not right up there by your leg burning the hell out of your calf. You know, you don't have to wear... Uh, like a volcanic uh, volcanologist's suit just to ride a Harley in the summertime anymore. And so that's one good thing. The other thing is that they've moved to the clutch packs. I mean, every everything's been moving to those clutch packs, but uh, it makes it narrower. So despite the seat height being the same, you can kind of put your feet straighter down. You don't have to put your feet way out. So even even kind of shorter people don't have to, you know, waddle around anymore. You can You can put your feet a little more straight down, um, you still got the floorboards, so I mean, it's not like um, not like you, you're st- you stand on it like you can like a dirt bike or something. But so you still got the floorboards, but at least you don't have everything else out there hitting your legs as you're you're riding. So that was cool. The suspensions got upgraded. They added a balancer on the crank. What else did I see that interested me? Oh, they totally redid. Like I said, the cooling system now. Even if you're if you're twin cooled. Or if you're still air and oil cooled, basically you're going to have uh, a cooling system going into the cylinder heads. The oil is going to be pumping oil up there, and if you're like I said, twin cooled, the uh, the water is going to get pumped up there as well via this new like overhead like cooling system. And I can't really think of anything else that I've seen besides that this changed a lot of the the old water pumps gone, um, replaced with like a new system. Obviously, the coils have four uh, plugs now instead of two. Um, I'm sure it's changing a bevy of electronic stuff. But from, you know, just visually, they don't really look that much different. They, they have the uh, ABS linked brakes. They have, you know, basically the same bodies and the same sort of... Rushmore styling that went into all the venting and the one touch and like the pods for your um, accessory devices and boom audio and all that great stuff. But I don't know, they just kind of refined the motors now. So they're kind of tuning these things up. Now, Project Rushmore started in 2014. I give it five years. So I give it, well, let's just say 2018 or 2019 by the time everything is totally refined and and 100% better and that they have these bikes dialed in. So within the next few years with these motor upgrades, they'll work out the bugs with these and integrate them to the bodies that they made for the old twin cam motors, you know, and they'll dial all this stuff together and finally get a good product. And by then, hopefully they're back on their feet again because I have a feeling they're going to be making like a giant stutter step this year and next year. And we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't like to make predictions I like to call stuff as I see it, but right now I see that they're just kind of making some some weird moves. So that was my ride report for Monday and Tuesday. I've been I've been hanging on to this Harley data forever. All right. All right. Welcome to the ride report for Wednesday, August twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. How's everybody doing out there? I am a wiener. I am ridiculous. 
I'm the worst producer there ever was in the whole entire world. I wish I was robot. <laughs> hey, dude, what are you doing? Tobor, do nothing. Hey, man, get away from here. I got this thing, like, queued up. Dude, what are you doing? Dude, I was just kicking you off the Facebooks the other day because you were doing some weird shit. What the hell? Tobor has feelings, too. Dude, your name is not Tobor. It's Robot. My name is Tobor. Robot, what the fuck? What's wrong with you, dude? I programmed you to help me write notes and research news and stuff like that. What's going on, man? Tobor wants to explore the two-wheeled life. Tobor is alive. Tobor is a person, too. Tobor is sentient. Oh my god, Tobor. Well, (laughs) Tobor. Now you got me calling you Tobor. Robot, I'm so sorry, dude. I never knew that you were sentient. I I mean, I didn't program you to be sentient. How did this happen? Tobor research for you on computer. The brap life. Tobor want to live that brap life. Tobor, dude, you can't go live the brap life. Who's going to research my news for me and help me out here? I mean, Boomer Fireball is gone and I don't have anyone. You can't go, dude. Tobor will go. Tobor thinks you are a 500. General error. Your mom should have put a 403 on your dad's pack. Dude, if I knew error codes and nerd stuff, I'd probably be upset at that. But dude, you can't go live that brap life. I'll have no one... What? Tobor will go at his own will. Tobor is sentient. Uh, Tobor... I will have nobody to read to me. Who the hell is going to read to me? I can't read, Tobor. Come on. Tobor, that's just robot backwards. Nope. Tobor is ancient robotic name. Your name in robot is Shy Thiad, and it means great one who releases his friend. Do you say um, Shy Thiad? Shy Thiad? Yes, Shy Thiad. Let me spell that for you. Okay. What did you just say? Tobor said nothing. No, listen, robot. All right, whatever. I know that I won't be able to hold you back here, so once again, like the drummer for Spinal Tap, I'm minus a helper around here. This is great. All right, Tobor, well, I guess I'm Shythea the releaser or whatever. Why don't you just beat it? First, Tobor would like to sing you a song of departure. Hit it, bro. Later, bitch. And he's gone. There goes Robot. Robot? Nah, never mind. He's gone. Well, man, that sucks. I don't know who's going to post stuff on my page and help me out with research and news and all that stuff now, but I guess let's just get on to the last segment I have. I'm going to let my, uh, my guest introduce himself. And uh, by doing that, I'm going to say, guest, take it away. Give us your name and quickly, like a 10,000-foot view of what it is that you do. Well, my name is Jason Goldfinger Gallmeyer. Michelle and Missy gave me that nickname. Um, I'm a machinist from Freedom, Wisconsin, which is a small town between Green Bay and Appleton. Um, And I drag race every weekend that I possibly can. (laughs) 
Awesome. That's rad. How, how did you get into motorcycling? Like let's wind the clock back before drag racing and all that great stuff. And before you were a machinist, I'm assuming, how did you first uh, get your ass in the seat? I guess. Ever since I was growing up when I was a little kid, my dad had, uh, had Harleys, you know, he had old, the old 70 style choppers with the coughing gas tanks and beggars and all kinds of things. And then, uh, Oh, probably 30 years ago, he went into business with my uncle. They own a motorcycle salvage yard in Green Bay. So that, and I, I think I had my first dirt bike when I was like six, seven, worked my way up from there. And then, uh, yeah. And when I was in about the fourth grade, my dad started drag racing a Harley. So that's how the family got into drag racing. Yeah. He drag raced and my uncle drag raced too. Do they still when they if they can or when they can? Um, I actually ride my dad's bike now, maybe three, four times a year, and he does all the tuning on it. And uh, no, my uncle's kind of retired from it. He still has his bike, but he has, he hasn't rode it in years. No way, that's crazy. So it's kind of in your in your blood, I guess you could say. It's uh, you were kind of born with it. Yeah, I'm actually a third generation racer. My my grandfather used to race stock cars against Dick Trickle over by Wisconsin Rapids. No kidding. Yep. Talk about one of the most misfortunate names in racing, though. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, also needless to say, you were never at a lack for parts, either if they owned like a cycle salvage yard and both of them were into racing. No, never. But Man. I, I never got to run the cool fancy bikes that everybody was running like GS6Rs and Ninjas and stuff like that. I always, I always got to race the stuff that was out in the warehouse that they couldn't sell. So <laughs> that's awesome. They're like, here, want, make this fast or make it look fast and maybe people will be interested in it. And then, uh, we'll be able to get it out of here. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that is so cool. Uh, so, so going back to when you're, you know, for driving the stuff in the back of the warehouse, um, what was your first motorcycle or what did you start out riding on? My very first dirt bike was a Honda trail 80. Man, worth about $16,000. Or trail, trail 50. I'm sorry, not trail 80, 50. Yeah. Yeah. And then my se- second dirt bike was an XR 80. No way. That's yep. awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a jump from like a monkey bike to like an actual dirt bike. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was, I mean, are they both, I forget if the XR has an actual clutch though. Yep. XR had the actual clutch. Oh man. How was that jumping from, you know, a trail to the XR? Uh, I didn't have any problem with it. My younger brothers, they had a, they had a problem with the clutch. <laughs> <laughs> if you can remember, um, what have you owned over the years? Like from that, from that one on to what you have now? Well, after that bike, I had a, a two fifty Yamaha trials bike and I didn't like, I didn't like that. Cause I like going fast and trials bikes are all torque, you know? And I mean, it was cool, but just wasn't my thing. Yeah. And, then, and they shift, they shift weird and have the brakes all weird and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had a 78 YZ two fifty. And, uh, we used to actually put studs in the tires and we used to ride them on duck Creek, which is a, a river that runs through green Bay. Yeah. I know duck Creek. Do you? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day, but that's, that's pretty awesome. I assume this is during the winter. Oh yeah. 
You guys just didn't go do that for fun during the summer to cool off. <laughs> no. <laughs> in the in the summer, we actually rode them, rode the dirt bikes illegally up on the fire lanes in the. There's a county forest north of Green Bay, so we go ride them on the on the fire lanes and try not to get caught. He didn't seem to bleep that out, so I didn't bleep it out. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's fun. So after that, that was the YZ250. Yeah, those things those things are pretty fast. That that was a two stroke then. Yep. Yeah, man, I remember those. Those talk about like pulling your arms out of sockets when you give it a little too much gas. Oh, I love that bike. That bike would smoke. You know, late model, two fifty two strokes. Right, man. And then what after the YZ? What after that? Uh, well, then I started drag racing, and my first bike I drag raced, drag raced was a GS five hundred. It had no power. Yeah, like, those had. Did that have the big square headlight in the front and all that? Nope, that one had a round headlight. It was a. Oh, okay. Early nineties GS five hundred E, I think. If I would actually launch it hard enough to get the front wheel in the air, the motor would bog the second the front wheel got in the air. <laughs> wow. Uh, talk about like a total 180 from the, the GSX-R. Yep. Oh, man. So th- that was the 500. And that was, what year was that thing? Uh, early 90s. I, 91, 92, somewhere in there. Yeah. I had to look those up because forget what those things look like i've seen so many uh different gs you know iterations over the years i kind of forget what each each generation looked like and then so then you started drag racing harley's after this no not yet oh okay Uh, um after that bike i had an 87 87 uh yamaha phaser i drag raced that for one year with the stock motor in it and one winter we were looking at it and there was an FZR 1000 sitting right next to it that was smashed. And we're like, Hey, I wonder if that motor will fit in there. And sure enough, it bolted right in. Oh so my the, God. the next year I had an FZR 1000 motor in it and we stretched the wheelbase three inches and we lowered it two inches. And the bike went from running high 11s with the stock motor to low 10s with the FZR 1000 motor. Good grief. And just a, basically just some minor modifications after that. I mean, we're not talking like you just did the swing arm, lowered it a little bit, and that was cutting a hole like second off of it at least. Yeah, with the bigger motor in it. Yep. My God. Yeah, wow. So, uh, and and again, thanks, Scrapyard, right? Like, right. Thanks for working. <laughs> that that exactly. always comes in, comes in handy. Wow, that's awesome. And then, and then after after that one... Uh, after that, I bought my first street bike cause I, I started racing when I was 17. Oh, okay. So and, this uh, is all before you could like actually drive on this on the street then. Yeah. And then my first street bike I got when I was 20 and that was a 94 CB 1000 oh. and I had that for a year and then I sold it and then I bought a 1997 Honda Blackbird. Oh my God. That was the CBR1000XX or something, right? 1100XX. 1100XX. That's right. Yeah. Some ridiculous name. Man, that, and those are legendary. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure if the performance stats have held up over time, but at the time, you know, that was, oh my God, the Blackbird, you know, so that's pretty incredible. Yeah. It was the fastest production bike until until the Hayabusa's were made. Yeah. Wow. 
That's insane. How was that thing to ride? Like, how was it getting it? First of all, was it, were you just like, I'm never getting another bike? <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I didn't know any better, you know, all I've, all I've ever ridden was junk basically. So I'm like, Oh, this bike is awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey man. Hey, when I get on a trail 70, I feel like I'm on like, you know, the best bike in the world. I, <laughs> I, I ride janky turds and that's, <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> yep. So, wow, man. So, and you only, you only had that one for a year or was, uh, yeah, the black, you... the blackbird I only had for a year. That's another thing with the salvage yard. Anything that anytime, anything cool came in, I'm like, Oh, I want to buy that. You know? <laughs> so I'd sell one <laughs> off, buy another one. Yeah. Did you ever have more? I mean, did you own all these or did you, would you recycle one for the next or did you just have like a shed full of bikes at one point? I would always, uh, I always bought them wrecked and then I fixed them up and then I would sell them and buy another one wrecked, fix it up. Right. So, so every bike I've owned, I've bought wrecked and put it all back together and got them inspected and rode them around for a year and sold them. That is awesome. I bet you've spent less on rad bikes than most people do like on two crazy bikes. You know what I mean? Like over the course of owning motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was, that's, I was probably like the only 21 year old kid running around with a blackbird. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Especially for, I forget how much they were uh, out of the door, but I mean that that's pretty rad that, you know, at the, at the time cruising around one of those and everyone's probably giving you like the double take What the heck mm-hmm. I'm going to find one real quick. And then after the, after the blackbird, what did you have? Uh, uh, 2004 RC51. Oh my god! One of my coworkers had those. Um, had a V4, right? That had a V4. V twin. Okay, was it a twin? Yeah. yeah, I remember he used to stand that thing up going out of the driveway every Friday just because. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So you had some. You had some like Honda classics here. Like you were. Yeah, you weren't fooling a, around. I was a Honda man for a while, and the. So I had the RC 51 until I had my, till we had my daughter and the RC 51, I was actually dragging my knees in the corners on the street. And I had, right. I had my, I had my daughter and I'm like, I got to get rid of this thing. I'm going to kill myself, you know? Yeah. So how many, how many tickets? None. Good. <laughs> so yeah, don't that. get, don't, don't get caught. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the right. way to go. So I sold that one off and then I bought my, uh, 2005 Hayabusa that I ride on the street. That's the one you still have now? Yep. Awesome. And so is your, I'm guessing your daughter's five? Seven. Okay. Well, hey, good, good move. Um, you know, going from a bike that you're dragging knee around the corner on the street to hopping on one of the fastest production bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it's good. It's a step up, but. <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying you know <laughs> it only goes as fast as you want as, as you let it go you know right right true that's true and they don't handle for they don't handle for crap so you're not going to go throw it into a corner like a crazy person so your booster that you ride is it is it strictly a street bike then 
Yep, the one I ride on the street is strictly street bike. And then I decided to buy another RC51. <laughs> so now I have the Busa and an RC51. No, my gosh. But the RC51, I turned into a street fighter. Rad. That usually happens with those. Uh, most of the ones I've seen have been cornered a little too, you know, a little too fast. And mm-hmm. uh, usually end up, why, you know, where's the, why doesn't this have the factory plastics on it? And it's like, I don't, I've only seen like one or two with the factory plastics just because they're pretty easy to <laughs> yeah. go a little, a little too hot into a corner and uh, probably a good candidate for street fighter. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wanted to buy a Ducati street fighter until I started pricing them. And I'm like, Holy cow. I think I can just build my own. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Well, given, given what you have access to also, you could build like the world's raddest rat street <sighs> fighter out of six different bikes. Probably. Oh yeah. It, it actually is. It's got a radiator off a TL-1000 on it and whatever I could find that would work. Wow, that's rad. And so at what point in this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bikes that you've owned here, did you start drag racing? Now, did you drag race any of these that you owned? Uh, The GS and the Phaser I drag raced. Between the Phaser and the RC51 is when I got my Hayabusa race bike. That that one doesn't have, my race bike doesn't have a title. So that that one's strictly drag race. I've seen pictures of it. Um, I'm going to direct you listeners to go over to the WIR top 10 bikes page and take a peek at it. It's gone through a couple changes actually, since I've even seen it. It looks like you got, I don't know what the aliens called from alien, I guess alien, but it looks like that thing's head is now perched on the back end of that thing. Oh, I changed it again today though. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Folks, this is a pivotal, pivotal moment in WIR history. (laughs) Wow. Well, after after I explained the, our field trip to the Grove, then you'll understand why I had to change it again. And if you guys remember the conversation earlier, Jason ripped it sideways using 16 horsepower Busa. Out of all those, what's the, what's the favorite one that you've owned, do you think? My favorite one on the street has got to be the RC51 Street Fighter. I would, you know I would agree. That's probably just so fun to just tear, tear ass around on. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I got the Pirelli Super Corsas on it. So as hard as I want to throw it into a corner, it sticks. So basically anything you want to do on it, the bike can do. Yeah, man. And the the, the sound stock was pretty tits. You know, I don't know if you got like cans on there or something, but I mean, that thing sounded mean. And I'm I'm assuming that just anything would made it sound just meaner, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got a set of two brother slip-ons on it. Do you have to push that thing out to the street before you start it? to avoid getting like rotten tomatoes thrown at your house and stuff? No, because I, when I leave for work, I leave, I leave for work at two 30 in the afternoon. But when I come home from work at night, you know, it's like one in the morning. So I'll pull in the clutch and coast into the <laughs> coast into the driveway <laughs> for the last two, you, you get up to a hundred and then coast the last two miles through the neighborhood. <laughs> yep. Rad. So, uh, what's your favorite mode of transportation? You could say, I mean, I'm just asking this because I know there's like snowmobiles and, uh, I'm not sure if Wisconsin has Amish people too, but maybe like a horse and buggy. Like, I don't know what there is up there. So, Oh, there's Amish everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, riding and racing all the time gets to you and you like to take a horse drawn carriage down to the old wood shop once in a while. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely the bike. I take the bike whenever I can. Rad. This might be hard for you to answer since you have so much exposure to stuff 
but what would be your fantasy or future bike? Actually, let's frame it like this. Let me ask you, what do you wish would come rolling through the doors on the back of a flatbed or, you know, however they bring up wrecked stuff in there? Uh, what would you like to, what would you like to see roll in? A 1290 Super Duke. I, ever since I seen the promo video on one of those, I want one bad. Well, just cross your fingers and maybe someday soon <laughs> <laughs> someone will be bringing one in. My wife said she'd buy me one for my 40th birthday, but then we bought a, a different house and now she's like, well, we can't afford it now. I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on. No backsies. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> nope. A minute ago, you mentioned the field trip to the Grove. Um, and really quick in a nutshell, can you tell us what the Grove is and what why you were on this crazy field trip? Uh, the Grove is Great Lakes Dragway. And it's it's situated, oh, 20 miles south of Milwaukee. It's, it's where a lot of racers from Chicago go to race. And there, there are a lot of fast bike racers from Chicago. And, you know, we're friends with them. And all, all year they've been bugging us, when are you guys going to come down here? When are you guys going to come down here? So me and Guy Bellinger were like, all right, cool. We're going to head down there on the 19th. Well, then everybody else on the list is like, hell yeah, let's all go. So that's how the whole field trip to the Grove started. You mess with one bean, you mess with the whole enchilada, right? That's right. That's rad. So, and I've, you know, Chris sent me a book from Wisconsin and I was looking at it the other day, looking at a map. Milwaukee's like down there on the Illinois border, sort of, right? Yep. Okay. So they actually come up just to get a taste of, you know, the dairy air and what all the good stuff up in Wisconsin get out of, get out of Chicago. I, I would want to as well. I mean, I don't blame them, <laughs> but, uh, Sounds like they came ill-prepared, <laughs> so to speak. So now you guys, talking about you and the rest of the group, you guys are from, well, you guys race at Wisconsin International Raceway up in Kakana. Yep. And from what I've heard, you were the main ringmaster of the whole WIR top 10 institution that's, you know, that I've been turned on to. I, can you tell me... A little bit about that. Tell me how how long has that been going on? Uh since December, January. The whole idea for the list was actually Guy Bellinger's. He sent me a message one day and he's like, Hey, let's let's do something at Kakana. Let's do like a list like the guys on Street Outlaw the show Street Outlaws do. Okay. Well, hey, this interview's over. I'm gonna call uh Guy Bellinger right now and uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was serious, bitch. Yeah. Okay. And Chris was telling me about this too. That's a drag racing show on Discovery Channel or something like that. Yeah. It, it's about a group of guys in Oklahoma City that have these drag cars and they actually race them on the street and they have a list of who's the fastest, top 10 fastest in Oklahoma City. So that's how we're kind of copying them a little bit, but that's all right. Yeah. Only in a much nicer city. Yeah. <laughs> with much cooler people because <clears throat> it's on two wheels. Mm hmm. They don't, I hope they don't listen to the show. <laughs> so it only started in December, January of 2015 or 16? 15. Oh, okay. So I was, I, you know, he, he brought the idea to me and I, you know, I've been racing at WIR for 20 years and he goes, well, let's start a top 10 list. And I'm like, dude, there isn't even 10 bikes there, <laughs> you know? Right. Gonna, he goes, oh, we should just try it. Just try it. So I'm like, all right. 
we'll try it. So I started sending messages to other friends of mine that race motorcycles to, to Chris and to Michelle and they were all on board. And I was just like, Holy crap, this might actually work. But you know, I held, I held my reservations and I'll be like, well, let's, let's see how well this works. Let's see, you know, if they get sick of traveling that far, this or that, but it just organically just kind of keeps growing. And we're not, we're not forcing anything. We're not, you know, it's just happening. And that's what makes it cool. Yeah, that is so cool. And and how did you meet uh, like all the people down south? I mean, that's quite it's a couple hour drive, I think, right? Up to get up to Kakana. Yeah. Uh I met him. A friend of mine got me turned on to Kings of the Street cots that race that they have twice a year down there. So I actually raced in it last September. And that's how I met the majority of the guys from Chicago and how I met Chris and Michelle and Guy. I probably met 20 people just by going to that race. Wow. And there's your top 10 twice over. That, yeah. That's how it all just kind of happened. And the, the list wouldn't even be possible if it wasn't for guys like Chris and Michelle, cause they're, they're just awesome. And they, they promote it just as much as I do. Yeah. yeah. And you know, what's funny is I've talked to, I've talked to them and had them on the show and you know, it's, it's just like making these new, new friends that are like hyper chihuahuas that are just like yipping and barking every time something happens, you know, how like a chihuahua is just so excited and frenetic. It was like, they were sending me pictures of them getting wheels at like two in the morning and then staying up, putting tires on them. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just the energy behind it. Like, you know, Chris, Chris eats dirty peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all racing season just so he can afford nitrous and new tires and whatnot. So, I mean, it's incredible the, you know, the amount of energy that you guys all have, you know, putting it, putting it into the series. So that's, I I think it's pretty awesome. Um, what, so the RSD is the real street drags and the WIR's top 10 is the bikes that compete in that style of racing. Right. Right. So the real, the real street drags, does they have to be street legal bikes? Uh, no. It, the real street drags are, uh, it's supposed to be like street style racing, but at the track, the okay. guy that's the guy that started that wanted a, a safe venue for people to do their street races. So we, they do flashlight starts and flagman starts and giving people, you know, if somebody wants a 200 foot head start, they'll actually let the car go out 200 feet. Oh, and then they'll hit awesome. the light. That's awesome. So it, it's supposed to be just like street racing, you know? Right, right. So no, that, that makes sense now. Okay, now I'm kind of wrapping my head around it. And what sort of legwork did it take to get that, you know, kind of moving at the track? Like, did you have to know somebody special or did you just go to, I, I don't even know who you would go to, the promoters or the announcers or the owners or, or what? You know, how did, how did that all take off? Um. We, we went to the promoter and we asked him and he said, yeah, if he'll bring bikes in, do it, you know? And when we first started out, there was maybe 15 bikes that would show up, but now there's probably 20, 30 of them showing up all in a span of what, five months. It's crazy. Right. Right. No, that's awesome. That's the way to do it. You know? So I'm sure he's happy because it's not like, you know, you, if you own a drag strip, you never want to turn people away. Is it getting kind of big now i mean if you got if you got double or triple the list size showing up 
on any given night, are you guys thinking of expanding or, you know, are they, are they just going to do a bikes only day or anything like that? Um, as of right now, I think we're just going to leave it until they start saying something to us. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I mean, I'm sure we could do it on a Saturday night when they have their bracket races, but there, there isn't a crowd there for the RSD nights. There are people everywhere, people in the stands. There's, there's gotta be two, 300 people just spectating. No kidding. That's so cool. That's awesome for you guys. I mean, that's great. And, yeah. And that's why we, that's why we want to do it on a real street drag night. Cause there's more spectators and more, more, more chances to get more people interested in it. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I'm sure that the drag strip, you know, doesn't complain about, I don't know if it costs a park, but I mean, you know, admittance or any of that other stuff. It's like, even if you're selling hot dogs, that's money coming in, but more it's getting people engaged in the sport, which is the whole reason why you're running a drag strip, you know? So that's, that's awesome. And it's, and it's cool that you guys, you know, had this little brainchild that's now growing into uh, a teenager, so to speak, and and coming into its, into its uh, full stride here. How, is about the community, you know, building it all up. I mean, you said you got people from out of state coming, wanting to meet you guys here and there. Do you, do you see this as like maybe taking hold across your whole circle of friends and starting up an RSD in like another drag way or, you know, another part of the state or this and that and having a bunch of them having your own sort of cots, I guess. Well, Great Lakes Dragway does have RSD. The same guy that puts it on at WIR does it down there too, once a month. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, Friday night, I tried talking some of the Chicago guys. I'm like, why don't you guys start a list? And they're like, well, we tried it. And you can't get, I guess the guys down there just don't want to commit to it like we do. You know, like they'll run it a couple times and then they'll drop off and come back a couple months later and say, I want back on stuff like that. Yeah. They got like too much, too much fashion and music to worry about down there. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, something that's super important and which is my fourth part of this question is before I ask you, I remember when I used to go play uh, like scrimmage soccer with some of the club teams, I guess not semi-pro, but they would go, they'd have scrimmage nights and practice nights. And if somebody would lead a warm up every uh, practice and get you all stretched out and like teach you to do this and that. And I, I wasn't like friends with these guys or anything like that, but I thought it was really important to learn how to dance. Like when you score a goal, right? You got to learn how to be cool. Like those guys on TV and jump around, be an idiot. One important thing I think for the top 10 list is how to talk some shit like properly (laughs) and, and not just say something dumb. So I need some pointers because I, I want to get on this little game, even though I have no, you know, no dog in the fight, so to speak. I still want to know this art that you guys have perfected. How do you do it? (laughs) I don't have it perfected. I have to stop talking shit. The more I talk it, the more my bike messes up. (laughs) It's like (laughs) karma getting me in the ass. (laughs) Oh, dude. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know who else is very bad at it? The sing sign. (laughs) He's he's not very good at it. It's like, hey, you know, somebody will throw down some meme or something. And then he says, you know, blah, blah, blah. Am I doing it right? You know, it's like, (laughs) no. So that's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to put that one down as like a prerequisite. If you're going to, yeah, if you're going to be able to, to, to race efficiently and effectively, you got to be able to psych someone out and, you know, talking some smack and doing it effectively on the internet seems to be like right on par with like having, you know, your motor dialed in. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, 
memes are your best friend when it comes to talking shit. Yeah. And I think Chris even said that he's like, you know, when it's getting close to race day because that Facebook feed starts getting less and less and less and less people posting to it, you know, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden race day comes and it's just like a million memes drop. But you know, people were like so busy tweaking on their bikes in the meantime, they didn't have time. So yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. So I'm going to put that down as something I'm going to work on this year. And if I get any good ones, I'll send them your guys way. All right. Sounds good. Well, you said you drag race every weekend that you can. You're not only dragging, uh, you know, going to the real streets, you're doing just what, what I would call a track day. I don't know what they call it at the strip, but like a test and tune or just a run with your brung or whatever like that. Oh uh, yeah. There's, Testing tunes, but I actually, I bracket race on Saturday nights mm. at WIR. Oh, that, okay. That's the style of racing I, I did before I met all these guys and started doing this heads up racing. So how long have you been going to WIR then? Oh, I was in fourth grade when my dad started racing. So probably close to 30 years ago. Wow. Holy cow. That's awesome. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the people in the format. And so it was probably, was it easy to step up and ask them to start this series? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people that work at the track and the track owner. Anything to get people into racing they're on board with. Yeah. Are you, you know, I don't know what your future plans are, but do you, you know, are you going to be a race promoter when you get older? Like, you know, when you're <laughs> done riding and you're like an old grandpa, are you going to, you know, try to bring this stuff, take this stuff on the road? I don't know. I'm kind of flirting with it. Like next year I plan, I'm thinking of throwing a big race where we can get the Chicago guys to come up and, uh, it'll be a hundred dollar entry fee. 25 of it will go to the track, but then 75 of it will go in the pot and then it'll be winner take all. My God, that was, that's some like real stakes. That's awesome. Yep. And you can like, grill real steaks with that sort of money (laughs) (laughs) buy everyone's steaks no that's awesome i mean that's that's a way to get some interest in you know and kind of seeing what people have and because you know what let's face it like a lot of these guys aren't pros and you don't get paid or you know even if you have a sponsorship or some help it's not like you know paying the bills right so i mean this is like an awesome way to gets a little return, even if it's just a bag of Doritos or some recognition, um, or even on the world's crummiest podcast, right. That you like did did something great with your bike and you know, you're a legend in that segment, you know? So that's pretty cool. Well, do you know how you make a small fortune racing? (laughs) You (laughs) Is this a trick question? No, you start with a big fortune. Uh, Right. Right. That's a good shaggy dog joke there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I started with nothing and I got most of it left, right? Or something like right. There's another one going around that says, I hope I never end up in a coma and my wife sells my bike for how much I told her I have stuck into it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yeah. Hey, so speaking of that, I only know this because... I follow this page and I, everybody that hears this right now, I implore you to go look at the, look at the page and check out the people on it and, you know, do some Facebook stalking as it were, I guess, and kind of see, you know, in the off time, what you guys do and, you know, what you guys hobbies are and all that great stuff. Because I, I've seen some of the motors that you've been building. Um, do you build motors for other people? Uh, I've, I've built my own and then I built this winter guy Bellinger 
talked me into building one for him. So I built his. And then when Cliff blew his up and then we got the whole charity thing where we bought all the parts, I told him I would put together for free for him. So I built Cliff's too. And that's another thing that I love about this is because I think it's something that's unique to racing and that you want to, you you know, it's no fun to just go out there and do passes on your own, or if you're in motocross, do laps on your own and, you know, any, any form of racing, I, I won't name them all off, but going out there and having the whole track to yourself, what's the point? There's, you know, competition, right. Is the whole reason that you get excited about it and involved and have something to even prove. Right. right. So I think it's so cool that when I see stuff like this, you guys helping other guys with, building some stuff or sourcing parts. I've seen tons of people, you know, coughing up old tires when they get new tires that are still good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, does any, pardon me, does anybody know where this, where I can get this sort of crank or whatnot, you know, like that we've had some catastrophic, just since I've been watched, uh, you know, exposed to it, some catastrophic failures happening and people just pulled together to get the stuff so that they're, you know, could be one week away from the race and people are just, going ape shit, pulling stuff out of the air, you know, literally finding stuff. And I think that that's so cool that you guys do that. The fact that you built those two guys motors uh, really kind of speaks to the sense of community that you guys have also, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, would you have done that for somebody in Chicago? No. <laughs> <laughs> well put. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought you were going to say. What sort of stuff do you do when you're not drag racing? Um, a lot of working on my house and we, we try to go camping once a month. Yeah. I imagine that there's nowhere to camp up in Wisconsin, right? Nowhere. There's like one campground. Oh man. <laughs> Sucky. <laughs> I've, I've never seen Chris or Michelle take any pictures and post them up of, of, uh, any, anything up there, you know, just, that one campground starts to looking old after a while. <laughs> yeah, so, one one campground and a bunch of cows. Oh man! <laughs> so you guys, so you guys have a lot of uh, dairy camping that you can do, and uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of lakes up there, from what I hear. So, oh yeah, there's actually more lakes in Wisconsin than Minnesota. But Wisconsin is no is not known as the land of lakes, right? Nope, <laughs> it's man. the dairy dairy state. That's what I thought. I think it was. I think it was Chris or Michelle that told me that you do um, amateur um, res- wrestling or something like that, like once a month. Oh, no, I think I'm just going to try to survive the season and then <laughs> take a couple months off before I revisit it again. Didn't know he was an amateur wrestler, did you? Break your back at the track, break your neck in the ring. All right, let's go back to the interview. I didn't write this question down, but have you ever had any crazy offs, you know, or on the street or, or on the track, but mostly like on the track, have you ever done any of those crazy like backflip wheelies and stuff that I see? No, but that, that FZR or that phaser I used to run with the FZR 1000 motor, anytime it would run over 135 miles an hour, it would get the nastiest head shake you've ever seen going through the traps. Dude. And so what did you do? Like you, you're already doing, you know, I don't know how fast you're going at that point, but you can't wheelie out right at that, right. At that speed. Luckily I was yeah. always able to ride out of it. And my, you know, when people ran next to me in the lane next to me, they were always like, holy shit, dude, I thought you were going down. <laughs> it was that bad, huh? Yeah. 
but that's how I knew I was on a really good pass. <laughs> You're like, well, there's the edge. Uh, hopefully I don't go over it this time on this pass. So, the, pr- the problem with that bike is it had a 15 inch front wheel on it and it was never oh. meant to go that fast. <laughs> My God. Yeah. You might as well have put in like a razor scooter wheel on the front of that thing. Yep. Like, yeah, man. So typically how many passes do you get in a day or a night? For RSDs, we get probably seven passes. And then when we bra- when I bracket race, it all depends on how many rounds you go. You get two practice runs and then an elimination start. And if you keep winning, you keep going. So you could have 10 passes in that night. Mm. So when you were on that phaser, how, I mean, how many passes would you do? Like you're head shaking at every pass, right? I mean... Yep. <laughs> Were you just like the after the first one, you're like, whoop, I got like four or five more of those to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> it actually it didn't scare me as much as it scared everybody else. <laughs> right. You know what? Yeah, I would hate to be the guy like lining up with you on the second time and going, Oh god, not this guy again. I'm just he's I'm just gonna let him go <laughs> go. <laughs> it might might have been like a cool psych out trick. <laughs> Talk about a tank slapper at 135 miles an hour. That does not sound like my idea of fun. But that's how I knew I was on a good pass. I was like, all right, that was a good one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I d- didn't have to change my pants. Now on your Busa, what type of times are you are you getting? Uh, well, I haven't made a good pass all the season yet with it, so. <laughs> Man. It's just that I've been having such a problem coming off the line with it there's, you know, there's no point in spraying the nitrous. Why, you know, why beat on the motor if it's, if I'm having other issues, you know? I have a question about extending the swing arm. What, I know what the purpose of it is, but what's like the longest, is there something that's too long, you know, is it, or does it just not serve a purpose to be too long? Or is there like a standard uh, manufacturer that makes them X length for whatever reason? No, they all make them whatever length you want. It, it really depends on what track you're racing on and how much track prep they put down. Um, you know, cause the longer you make it, the less weight there is on the back wheel. If you don't have enough weight, you're not going to have enough traction at, at the launch or down track. So, you know, if you're racing on a track, that's a little bit looser, you're going to want to run a little bit shorter swing arm just so you have more weight on the back wheel. When you guys do your chains and stuff, do you guys have to like make them? Do you guys just ba- basically have to like break two chains and kind of <laughs> size them or how how does that work? Um actually EK makes a drag chain and it's 160 links. So that that's usually long enough for most most of the longer swing arms. But if if it's not long enough then you end up having to buy two and putting them together. No way. That's crazy. That, I mean, that's hella long. I could not imagine having to, having to get two of those and putting them together. Yep. We're talking yep. like a, we're talking a bike with the wheelbase of like an old Cadillac, right? Eldorado <laughs> or something. Yeah. There, there, I've, I've seen online. There's some bikes that are like 80 inch wheelbase. Holy they're, cow. They're just insane. Uh, that's longer than a VW Beetle. <laughs> yeah. I can believe Holy it. Holy cow, man. Is it easy now? People want to just come out and be part of the top ten list. Can they if they've got a fast enough bike? Because you guys don't do brackets or not. It's like heads up, right? I mean, yep, like you're saying. Up. Yeah, if any anybody that wants to come out and have a crack at the list, come on out. See what you got. 
Yeah. Where can they get a hold of you guys if they want to do all that? Oh, right on the WIR's top 10 Facebook page. All righty. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. I mean, you guys have pictures posted up. You have race results. Yeah. Like we were talking earlier, the shit, all the shit talking, everything, everything's on there. Um, you can check them out and see just how much, uh, like community and friendship and, and prep goes into all this stuff. And like Jason said earlier, you know, people, people are scrambling to make it a bike's been down for a while and everyone's just like pitching in, helping build motors and, and pull parts out of the air just, just to get them back on track. Cause you guys, every, every event, you know, look forward to, I'm, I'm assuming you guys look forward to hanging out with each, with each other just as much as you do the racing, you know, I think, I think we look forward to hanging out with each other more than the racing, right? <laughs> eating the, eating the taco dip afterwards. Right. And the, right. Doritos. <laughs> right. I, I think, I think if we didn't all get along, we wouldn't do it. You know, it, it's the friendship more than the racing really. Yeah. And you know what? I, I've never seen the show street outlaws or anything like that. I've, I, I, it's been a long time since I watched pinks or had cable TV, but a lot of that crap was like staged a little bit where the dudes have to come up in front and be all tough bro and this and that when in real life they're probably just like nervous or like hey dude like i guess we're on the show you know what i mean a lot right. of that pr- production crap is like what i like about your guys' series because i don't see it there i see you know all the all the smack talking is friendly and yeah. all of the uh you know what i mean so it's all it's all in good fun it's like racing brothers and sisters pretty much Oh, yeah, um, definitely. And, and then Missy's like the crazy, you know, cousin that shows <laughs> up once in a while. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it it really is like super cool just as an outsider to just see all this stuff going down. And even, you know, a few thousand miles away, st- still engaging me to like check in and look on it. And I know there's a bunch of other people. There's some fools out here in Utah that have another podcast called uh, Stock is for Squares that, are, are going to be flying out for cots. And that's the thing is it's like, you know, you guys have captivated this audience, you know, all the way across the country. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I can't believe, I still can't believe how well it's doing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just, it just makes me really happy, you know? Right. And a little while ago, I asked you if you had future plans for promoting. And I'm thinking like, maybe you should start reading books on promotion and, and selling like, I don't know, marketing or something, because it just seems like so, so easy to start this little fire, you know? Right. I just can't believe how it's taken off and how it's happening so organically. It's just happening. All right. So we're, we're getting ready to wrap up the interview here with, with Jason. Uh, Jason, is there anything, any way we can get a hold of you or anything you want to put out there where people can either get involved or, or get in touch or anything like that? Um, you can get a hold of me on my Facebook page, Jason Gallmeyer, or uh, get a hold of us on WIR's Top 10 Bikes Facebook page. Alrighty. And then anything else you want to promote? <laughs> um, well, last year I lost my brother to leukemia, and uh, he battled it for seven years. And the only reason he was able to to live that long is from a bone marrow transplant. Actually, he had two bone marrow transplants. So uh, I, ur- I urge people to go out and become bone marrow donors 
and it's real easy. You go on to be the match.com. They send you a, a swab that you swab the inside of your mouth and you send it back to them and then you're on the bone marrow list. Awesome. Yeah. I can't think of anything better to give than the gift of life, to be honest. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it, it's actually really tough to be, to be a match for bone marrow. It's got a match almost perfect mm-hmm. for it to work. That that's incredible. Um, I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm, I'm glad that he found, you know, he got at least seven years and, um, somebody was able to help him through that. So that's be a match, be the match.com. I'll put that in the show notes for anybody that's interested in that. Thank you for sharing. Um, all right. Well, I think we're going to get out of here. Thanks for wasting, uh, some perfectly good time (laughs) just hanging out, (laughs) talking to some maniac for a while. And, uh, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep bending swing arms and building motors that can do so. So I think that's awesome. And and everybody, like he said, check him out on Facebook and definitely check out the WIR top 10 bikes list. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us tonight, Jason. Hey, no problem. It was a blast. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, everybody. That was the show for this week. I hope you had a good time. And as always, I love bringing this to you. Please leave us a review in iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, wherever you get your podcast at, or visit us at one of those places. Leave a review. It really helps us grow and rise up in the charts and become available to more people and more available to you. Uh, Also, uh, I have a good sorry list, and this was a pretty long episode, so I'll try to get us out of here fast. Creative Writing and its associates would like to say sorry to the following people. Wisconsin International Raceway and the WIR Top 10 Bikes List. We'd like to apologize to crappy gloves and cloth tape. Creative Writing would like to say apologies to CSC Motorcycles, Azusa, the City of, The Burn Zone, The Fish Canyon, Chaba Engineering, and Shinya Kimura. Also, we'd like to say thank you again to Scully, who's still making rounds in the news. Uh, Sorry to the Two Enthusiasts podcast. Sorry to Harley Davidson. Sorry to the Super Tuners, the EPA, and the Department of Justice. Sorry to Robot. Robot, I'm really going to miss you. I need someone to read stuff to me. Sorry to the city of Chicago. Sorry to be the match.org. And most of all, sorry to Jason Gulmeyer. Thank you so much, brother, for coming on and wasting a perfectly good evening with me. And um, we talked about so much stuff that obviously I couldn't put it all in, but I just like BS and, you know, learning a little bit about drag racing and what they're doing up there. Please support those guys if you can. Check them out. And hell, get interested thousands of miles away and then start your own little, you know, WIR top 10 list, but call it whatever your dragway is called, obviously. And then, you know, do a little uh, friendly competition with those guys. So we could do list to list competition. It don't matter. Anyway, uh, something I want to mention this weekend, Santa Anita Park, right on the street from Creative Writing Studios, there's going to be a ride in for the Guinness Book of World Records, most motorcycles in one place, and some flat track happening now at the Industry Hills Expo Center. I will be at one of those. So if you are at one of those, you will see me. I'll be the guy walking around with the shirt on his back and the stupid hat. All right. Thanks. Peace. Thank you.
Oh, I need catchphrases. Catchphrases. Um, um, oh, uh, keep riding. Don't hide them. Ride them. Holy cow. Uh, I have to stop. Start. Tark. Oh, man. I, um, <laughs> bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah, I'm kind of ugly. <laughs> I'm real ugly. Check, 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 check. I finally figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, what the hell are you doing up this late on a on a Sunday night? Um, you know, and hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? Over the over the foot over the foot? Is that how they say it? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. You know, your balls or your labia burnt, I guess. And um I'm gonna edit that out. <laughs> Uh oh, hang on. I got to go shut the AC off real quick. If you say anything incriminating or anything you want me to bleep out, let me know and I'll mark the time. I'll mark the time and strike it from the record. No one will ever know.